It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. For today's Locked On Reds, I have with me my friend and yours, the host of the Reds Alert podcast and current resident of the Big Island of Hawaii, Stephen Offenbaker. Steve, how's it going, dude? Aloha. I am doing well. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm not too bad. Been uh, doing as much as can be done whenever you're really stuck inside the house and the only place you get to go out is work or the grocery store. And I, I tell you what, th- there's a couple of things I want to get into. One of them is maybe not so good. And the other's awesome because we're talking about some history. One of the themes that we're looking at this week on the Locked On Reds podcast is teams that were awesome in the past, obviously, because there's nothing going on right now. We're going to talk about the 1990 wire-to-wire Cincinnati Reds. But before we do that, I want to get your take on this, because I know that you are a major supporter of the hashtag Manfred Hates Baseball. And look, I will put a caveat on this of we are all going through a crazy time in which it's really hard to figure out how normalcy will resume. But that being said, the man still has some really crazy ideas, cra- crackpot ideas. And one of them is this whole change to the Major League Baseball draft. I, I've seen reports that he will limit it to five or ten rounds. And like I told you off air, most prominently I've seen the five-round plan. And for any prospect, and, and those five rounds are still slotted, by the way, as far as money is concerned. And then for any prospect who is undrafted but wants to sign and wants to pursue a career in Major League Baseball but for some reason was not a top five-round draft pick, he is limited to making a total of $20,000 a year. I, I, I don't even know where to begin with this one, so... Uh, I'll away. tell you, I'll tell you, here's the deal. And, and you know, yeah, we're in an unprecedented time as far as the management of this sport goes. But well before this situation hit, Rob Manfred was doing his level best to wreck this game. Yes. Rob Manfred was doing his level best to do everything he could possibly do to squeeze every penny that he could out of this sport before he drove it off a cliff. And that's what he continues to do. This minor league draft proposal is simply nothing more than him taking advantage of this situation to shoehorn through what he wants to do to the minor leagues in two years. And if he's got a bunch of players under contract for this pittance of money, he's going to have much less resistance 
when he chops teams and guts communities and already has players making what he wanted to play them in the first place. He's using this as just cover to do the things he wanted to do that he didn't think he could get away with. The man hates baseball. He has no love for this sport in his heart. It's evidenced in everything he does every single day with every move that he makes. It's a heck of a shoehorn, kind of like you said, and he's really cornering the minor leagues because one of the things that whenever you looked at the whole idea of all the teams that he was going to cut, you're like, well, where all these players are going to go? Now Manfred's like, I got an idea. We're just going to have less players because when you limit it to five five rounds of draft picks per team and then any undrafted guy only gets 20000 apiece, you are daring people to play baseball at that point. Because if you're looking at an athlete, like my first example that comes to mind is Amir Garrett, a guy who was a two sports star in college, not just in high school, but in college as well. He chose baseball over basketball. I think he was picked in the 22nd round, which means he would go undrafted in this new format. You're telling me that he's going to forego a basketball career for $20,000 and a minor league spot. And who knows if, Anyone even cares if he makes the major leagues to be a lefty reliever? I mean, come on. No, it's it's definitely a strategy on Manfred's part to to force people to do what he wants them to do. And, you know, the real problem here is that the people that have all the say as far as baseball's commissioner goes are the owners, and he's making them a ton of money right now. So as long as they're making a ton of money, I think they could care less exactly what he does to the game because, you know, I, you look around the league at these owners, you know, they'll all be dead and gone before the real impacts of – of the ruining of this sport are fully felt. That's true. And and I just, I, I think of the different prospects and, and, and the other thing, the other angle that people have looked at this as is think if you're a talented high school player, talented high school players actually have a shot at being drafted at some point, And maybe they don't have any, any designs on going to school or anything like that. This now forces them to have to, you know, make that decision to go to college. And there's a lot of schools depending on where exactly that they go because spring sport uh, scholarships are not as important as football or basketball. So baseball teams, not every player on a college baseball team has a full ride. There are some people that don't even have scholarships on college baseball teams. And now it, it, this essentially really messes up the high school guy that really wants to get drafted. And it also kind of messes up college baseball as well. I, I don't know. It's just it's such a bad plan from all around. But the problem is there seems to be kind of like you said, so much support from these owners that are just like, dude, hey, my bottom line is looking pretty solid right now. So let's go with it. And that is just unfortunate because. If he really wants to grow baseball, this is a terrible way of doing it. Oh, for sure. I mean, you can totally envision all of these owners standing in the middle of their offices having their uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. moment of show me the money. They're just yelling (laughs) at Rob to show them the money. And I mean, you really think about this. If you look at this draft proposal, and I'm not sure how they're going to work in compensation picks or supplementary picks or... But if it's just a straight five-round draft, that's 150 players that get contracts. Yep. 150 players in the entire world, mind you, get 
contracts. That's just unacceptable. It's unacceptable for the sport. It's unacceptable for minor league baseball. And we are on a collision course. You know, get used to this. We are on a collision course with an unprecedented work stoppage. I see it coming. The players aren't going to put up with this anymore uh, at the major league level. They're going to shut it down. Minor league baseball players are going to do exactly what you said, which is walk away. They're going to go get real jobs or play other sports. And people can't afford to chase their dream. That's really what this is setting up. You hit the nail on the head, man. Well, I tell you what, let's let's have some fun here. Let's before <laughs> we're we're gonna get into some fun stuff, guys. I know that uh, there's a lot of crap going on in the world, and we want to have some fun. So let's have some fun. We're gonna talk about the 1990 Cincinnati Reds, the wire to wire Reds. But before we jump into all of that, I want to ask you: When is the last time you ordered delivery? Look, I know we're all stuck in our houses right now and we can't go out and sit at our favorite restaurants or really do a lot of the things that we're used to doing, but Postmates has the answer for your craving of your favorite restaurant. Just order delivery through Postmates. Today, I have an offer for you. Download the Postmates app and enter promo code Locked On. You'll get free delivery up to $100 for the first seven days. That's Postmates with promo code locked on. They have a great lineup of restaurants too. I usually go for some Jersey Mike's, maybe even throw in some Skyline. A lot of good stuff on there though. Probably got your favorite restaurant as well. So check out Postmates through the Postmates app and make sure you enter the promo code locked on for free delivery your first seven days of up to $100. Next time you're hungry or just craving your favorite restaurant, Postmate it. When you look back on the Reds' history, this is one of the favorite teams that everybody agrees. I, I think that, and, and most people will argue that the 75, 76, and you know when you really hone in on those two teams, probably 76 is even rated higher than 75 on some people's lists, but For more on that, check out our friends at Red Leg Nation. They are doing an awesome series called Building the Machine. So I want to look at the last time the Reds got a ring. The last time they won the World Series. And we're talking about, of course, 1990. I remember it not really because I was like one year old. (laughs) Which sucks. Um, oh, I, I really wish baby. I could. Yes. You're a baby. I really wish I could have seen it. Like, I I don't know. But the, the the stuff that I get to watch and the stuff that I read about, I mean, obviously, the guys that stand out to me, first of all, Sweet Lou. I mean, how awesome was that guy? You know, Lou Pinella is one of my favorites just from a lot of standpoints of things that the game has lost with the rule changes and the reviews and, you know, instant replay has has really changed what we see out of managers. But, you know, the the image forever burned in my head of Lou Pinella is him out there tossing bases and kicking dirt and losing his mind. And, um, you know, David Bell did his level best to to pay homage to Pinella this last season with some of his on-field antics but for the most part you know those days are over and we won't see that kind of fire from managers anymore because there's really not an opportunity for them to argue uh, in the way that Pinella did but you want to talk about a guy that was able to to squeeze every drop of talent out of a team of players uh, that was Lou Pinella in 1990. 
That, just looking back on that team, he had a very talented roster to work with, but at the same token, he had a talented roster that had underachieved the couple of years before he got there. So it was kind of one of those things where he almost had to break down how they understood what they've been doing for the last couple of years and build it back up to that championship mentality. And I think it all started, of course, with the best shortstop to ever play in a Reds uniform, and that is, of course, our man, Barry Larkin. You know, Larkin in 1990, it was an interesting year. He hit over 300. Uh, you know, his slash was 301, 358, 396. Uh, you know, but if you extrapolate his OPS plus, he was only 104. I mean, it's uh, it's it's really interesting because this is still early stage Barry Larkin. This is before the MVP. This is before he really became the captain that we all remember him as and you know uh, all of the traits were there but this was a very young scrappy rebellious uh non-conforming team this team was all about non-conforming and i think that's one of the things that makes them so interesting you know even 30 years later to look back at them because they were just rebels all of them you were still in ohio at this point right so i was actually in eighth grade Okay. So I remember this team well, and it's been interesting for me looking back at this team, uh, getting ready to talk with you, you know, to look at this team not through my, you know, kid love the team because of the Reds goggles and actually look at some of the numbers and some of the players has been very interesting. Just, you know, players that, you know, we remember so fondly in our heart and we think, oh, they were amazing. And then you look at their numbers and, you know, a great example of that's Joe Oliver, who mm -hmm. hit two, he hit 231, you know, on, ba you know, on base percentage of 304. But <laughs> You know, OPS plus 79, and we remember him. Why? We remember him for that double down the left field line, yep. and we remember him as a hero of Cincinnati sports, and it's just interesting to go back and look at the numbers outside of those those uh, those fond memory goggles and see what was really going on. It's just really interesting to, to go back 30 years later and check it out. Yeah, and and the numbers, it's so funny to look at because, like, you think of a World Series team, you think of multiple guys that just clobbered the ball, but they really only had a couple of home run hitters, both with uh, Sabo and Davis, and Sabo with the most at 25. Uh, it's it's interesting to see that, kind of like you said, that, that really comes in with Lou Pinella because he had him active on the bases, all that different stuff. I mean... To to talk about the stats is one thing, but also, do, do you kind of remember the feel whenever you watch this team? Did you have a sense of, like, every time they came to the ballpark, like, we know how the feeling's been the last couple of years where it's just like, oh boy, here we go again. I imagine the feeling had to be completely different that year of just like, we know we're going to win today. I, I expected every day to turn on the, and you remember, the, the team was not on the TV nearly as much then as it is now you know i if if you got to watch one game a week you were doing pretty good i don't even think it was that frequent sometimes but i expected to turn on marty and joe every evening and have that broadcast finish with and this one belongs to the reds i fully expected the team to win every single night when you were when you were paying attention and they had a I mean, beyond the hitting, they also had some really, really good pitching. I mean, obviously the Nasty Boys, some of the most iconic 
at least relief pitchers, probably pitchers, period, in Reds history. But they also had Jose Rio and Tom Browning. I mean, you can't get much better than Mr. Perfect. And Rio, I mean, okay, real quick, and this is a little bit outside of 1990, but talking about Jose Rio specifically, where does he fall on the Mount Rushmore of Reds pitchers? Is he at the top? Oh, the top? I don't know if he's tip top, but he's definitely in the conversation. I mean, you know, he was just a workhorse and uh, he was one of those arms that, you know, you could run out there and count on. So, I mean, he's in the conversation, you know, top four, top three. Uh, I don't know if he's number one, but he's definitely uh, worthy of consideration. If I say Riho, Soto, Cueto, Browning, or, well, Tom Seaver wasn't here long enough to really be on the Mount Rushmore, but... Rio Soto Cueto or Tom Browning? Who are you picking? You know, it's <laughs> well, Soto would be hard to pass up if I could have any of those <laughs> guys. But it, it's interesting that that list. You know, in another ten years, we're going to talk about that list, and you may be saying, you know, Rio Cueto Soto Castillo. You know, yeah. it's very, it's very interesting how that shaked out. How that shaken out <laughs> over over the course of Reds history. But uh but Rio was a beast. And you know, the and again looking at this team, that was that was Jose Rio was twenty-five years old in nineteen ninety. Uh did not lead the team in wins. He was fourteen and eight and twenty-nine starts. Uh Browning had one more win at fifteen wins. Um it's just you look at this team and to think that it went wire to wire and 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 swept the the Oakland A's in the World Series, uh, it doesn't make sense on paper looking at it. I mean, it really doesn't. That's the one. And another thing looking at the pitching is uh, Jack Armstrong, a guy that my dad has told me time and time again, nobody could touch him the first half of that season. And then after the all-star game, it was like a switch had flipped and he just wasn't as good. I wonder if there's anybody that has an answer as to why that happened. Well, you know, I think we saw a similar thing from Luis Castillo this last season. Uh, for the Reds. And I, and I really think that it's just a matter of you, you got a young guy that went out there and in Armstrong's case, you know, this is the first time he's done it. You know, this is, this is really the first full season he put together, you know, previous to that, he had a season with 14 starts. Uh, 14 games rather 13 starts uh in 1989 he he pitched in nine big league games so in 1990s his first full season really in the major leagues with 27 starts and i think he simply just ran out of gas i think that you know you got a young guy that's going out there trying to prove himself you know there was probably major adrenaline with every single pitch uh trying to be the man and uh, you can't maintain that over the course of 162 game season uh you can't do that over 32 33 starts uh, as a pitcher uh he ran out of steam and it's unfortunate and we see we see better pitcher management nowadays with with pitch limits and innings limitations and and the way they bring a guy along uh that tries to prevent this from happening in some respects nowadays one more question about the pitching, and then we'll uh, want to ask you something else. But I'm going to ask you to pick again. Favorite nasty boy? Oh man, um, I, I you know, I think it's for me. It's it's Rob Dibble, just because he's an absolute lunatic. Um, <laughs> it wasn't in the 1990 season. I believe it was 91 or 92. But I was at a game at Riverfront Stadium where. 
Hal Morris homers, and then Glenn Braggs comes up to bat immediately after and gets hit by a pitch. Uh, and this is against the Houston Astros. Mm-hmm. And Braggs doesn't charge the mound, but Dibbs comes flying in out of the bullpen and basically drop kicks the pitcher on the mound. Like he comes in nails up with his cleats in the air. And then it's just a <laughs> melee after that. And I just, that just sticks out in my head. Dibble was a lunatic. I love Rob Dibble. Uh, the nasty boys as a, a one, two, three punch are, you know, so revered in Cincinnati. But, you know, one thing that people forget is Norm Charlton started 16 games. Yep. In 1990, you know, he he bounced back and forth all season long between the bullpen and the rotation. So, you know, Dibbs and Myers were really the one two punch of that bullpen. Uh, Charlton was a, definitely a, a, a much needed role player with a lot of success bouncing back and forth like that. He had a two point seven four ERA. Um you know, he was exactly what the team needed to to fill multiple roles. But I think for me, Dibble. Dibble is definitely the the just the the personality of that bullpen. He had an insane year in nineteen ninety with a twelve and a half strikeout per nine. I mean that's that's a role as Chapman esque right there. And and you know, people you know, it all everybody just every single player on this team hit their peak at the right time. All together. I don't know if you'll ever see that again. I don't know that you'll ever see a collection of misfits like this 1990 Reds team was pull it together and have this much success. Uh, I don't know if we'll see that ever again. Looking back uh, through the eyes of a young Stephen Offenbaker, when was the point when you're like, these guys are winning the World Series? Oh, you know, I was a kid, so, you know, they opened the season. I forget how many games they snapped off right at the beginning of the season. But they opened the year on the road with a a big win streak. And, you know, it was instant. uh, It was instant. Everybody loves this team. And you have to remember what was going on in Cincinnati at the time surrounding baseball. I mean, we were fresh off the Pete Rose scandal. We We are still reeling a little bit from... Uh, Pete being banned for life and and if ever that the city needed a feel-good story and if ever the city needed the team to to hoist the city up on its back and lift spirits it was then Uh, the the city needed this team to win as much as you know the team needed the city to support it so um, it was a perfect alignment of the stars it's something that I wish I would have more firsthand experience of instead of just, hey, you know, read about them, watch a movie, different things like that. But on the whole, super proud to look back in Red's history and see a season like this. Do you think, and, and, and we'll end it with this, do you think that the Reds, I'm not talking about any other team, but our favorite baseball team right here, can ever go wire to wire ever again. Oh, you know, the wire to wire statistic, I, I, I think it was a fluke. I mean, over the course of a full season, a 162 game season, there's just so many variables and there's so many things that can happen with injuries and, and just the randomness of the sport that, you know, you may never see it again. I, I just, 
I mean, the things that the the 90 Reds were able to do to accomplish that in the first place really started with just getting off to that tremendous start. Um, right. And, and this team is notorious for starting slow. Like every single year they come out of the gate slow. So, you know, again, I think the 1990 season was a stars aligning moment for the city of Cincinnati. And uh, I don't think we'll see it again. I don't think we'll see another wilder wire season. Well, hopefully we'll at least see a season here soon. Last time I had you on uh, was before all of this craziness, and we were actually looking forward to a season. Now it's kind of up in the air, but we're going to be talking a lot more about a bunch of different stuff and Red's history and looking at a couple of things coming up. He is Stephen Offenbaker, the host of the Red's Alert podcast. You can find his podcast, I believe, on pretty much anything that there is with podcasts, right? We are trying to be as many places as possible. So most major podcasting platforms as well as RedsAlertPodcast.com. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for being on with me and talking about an awesome team of the past. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Aloha. That'll do it for today's episode of the Locked On Reds podcast. Thanks again to Steve for joining me. On tomorrow's podcast, brand new guest, Jason Williams, will join me. He is currently the political columnist for the Cincinnati Enquirer, but he also was once the beat reporter for the Minnesota Twins. Going to talk to him about what it's like, the life of being a beat reporter. We're going to jump into all of that and more. You're not going to want to miss it. The best way to not miss any episode is to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone, 513-549-0159. Hit me up with any questions or comments, reactions you might have. Would you pick Jose Rijo as your favorite Reds pitcher of all time? Let me know on the Locked On Reds line or on Twitter. But that's going to do it for us today. Thanks so much for listening to the Locked On Reds podcast. My name is Jeff Carr, and I'll talk to you all tomorrow. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.